Find Matthew 7 in your copy of the Scripture, and as you do, I just want to spend a moment and thank the two Kevins for the way that they lead our basketball league here at church. I think it's about 106 involved in the basketball league. And I tell you what, if you want to see some of the stiffest and most fierce competition anywhere around, you can come watch some of these church guys play. It is amazing. I I still remember one year where uh, it was a lot of guys in their 30s and 40s and some even in their 50s, uh, torn up ankles, torn up knees, torn up elbows, uh, surgeries left and right. And uh, somebody said, Scott, don't you want to do that? I said, no thanks. I, I did that in a, uh, in a church game back in college, tore up my ankle so bad. The emergency room doctor said, oh, you'll be okay in a couple of days. A couple of days, my ankle was still huge and went to an orthopedic specialist. He said, you have torn up everything in your ankle. And I need to go in and do surgery and tie everything back together. He said, however, we're going to do PT with you. And it's probably going to be six months. And, uh, but if you play basketball, I will be rebuilding your ankle. So uh, I've tried to listen to my doctor. I do that every now and then. But anyway, I still remember that year here, a couple, what, about five years ago, six years ago, everybody was having surgeries. But anyway, you ought to come and see some of the competition in our men's basketball league. These guys are good. So uh, anyway, we do want to welcome them to our church service this morning, make them feel welcome. Uh, Find Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look this morning at the subject matter, what kind of builder are you? What kind of builder are you? And we're going to concentrate on verses 24 to 27, but we're not going to start there. We're going to go all the way back up to verse 13 of Matthew 7, and we're going to begin there, and then we'll read down through verse 27. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Jesus said you can enter... God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. 
On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Father, help us to listen to your word this morning. As Jesus said in Revelation 2 and 3, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Speak to us. And Lord, I am nothing. Hide me behind the cross. And God, may we see Jesus and be drawn to him. Help each of us to evaluate this morning what our lives are about. What are we building our lives upon as a foundation? Will it survive? Will it take us through the storms of life? And then will it help us to be prepared to meet you one day as we shall all do? So God, help us to be wise builders. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, sometimes there are great contrasts that are set up in Scripture. Where the Lord says, don't do this, don't go this way, instead go this way. Or do this. And that's how this section of Matthew's gospel is. Nobody could tell a story like Jesus. He would use things in everyday life to paint images before our eyes and to teach great spiritual truth in and through it. And that's what he's doing here. There are four contrasting images that speak about the differences in people's lives. He talks about two gates. In life, we all come to crossroads. Each road has a gate. One is wide. It's easier to go through that gate. And many travel through that gate. And they go down that road. And that road is wide and broad. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. It leads to destruction. This is a case where the majority are in the wrong. Then there's the two trees. There are trees that bear bad fruit. They bear bad fruit because they're corrupt trees. And then there are trees that bear good fruit. They bear good fruit because they're good trees. You see, the fruit of one's life is an indicator of his or her heart condition. Someone who is genuinely born again will have a life that bears good fruit. 
Now, good works are not the root of salvation, but good works are to be the fruit of salvation. Then there's two guests seeking entry. One who says, Lord, Lord, with his lips, but he doesn't know the Lord, and he has never followed the Lord. It's an oxymoron to call one Lord whom you've never followed. And then there's one guy who gains entry and he hears well done because he not only professes knowledge of the Lord, but he has actually lived a life of surrender to the Lord. His life shows that his profession of faith was real. And then there's two builders. Notice that both builders have been in the classroom of the Lord. Both builders have heard the word of the Lord. We could even imagine imagine them being in the same church. Maybe even in the same community group. You see, as one commentator points out, Jesus is not simply contrasting believers and unbelievers, those in the church and those in the world, in other words, that would be the case if Jesus were contrasting those who have heard the word from those who have never heard the word. But Jesus points out here that both builders hear the word. And so as John R.W. Stott points out, we have to assume that Jesus is also giving a stern warning even to those who sit on church pews every week. Among those who hear the word, there are true believers and there are false believers. It's exactly as Jesus points out here in verses 21 to 23. Some profess him, but they don't know him. And they aren't known by him. Only builders, only builders who act on the word, Jesus is saying here, are ready to face whatever life brings to you. And only those builders who also act on the word are ready to meet the Lord one day. Folks, as you hear what Jesus is saying here, I want you to honestly ask yourself, what kind of builder am I? Does the Word of God just go in one ear and out the other and I check it off the list and I leave church and I I go about my own way to live my life and do whatever I want to do with my life? Or do I hear the Word? Do I put it into practice? Do I surrender to the Lordship of Christ in everything I say and do? Does that mean I'm perfect? Absolutely not. But I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to take the Word of God and shape and build my life. That's the wise builder. Let's pull some principles out of this text. First of all, I want to point out that everyone is a builder. Everyone is a builder. To live is to build. The two characters in this parable, beginning in verse 24, sum up all of humanity. The Lord divides all of humanity into just two groups. I want you to understand that. It's like the parable of the sheep and goats. 
There's not some third category. In that day that we meet the Lord, there are those on one side, there are those on the other. There's, there's no middle ground. Either you know him or you don't. You're a wise builder or a foolish builder. A sheep or a goat. No other category than that. The Lord sums up all of humanity into just these two categories. And I want you to notice that both men, again, are builders. And the houses they build are a metaphor for their lives. Folks, I want to emphasize to you this morning, your life is like a house under construction. I want you to think about what the Lord is saying here. There are people here that know what it's like to build a house, right? I've had couples in the church tell me, man, I'll never do that again. Because they and their spouse, man, they'd sit up till midnight and argue about this and this. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And they said, I'm glad I did it that one time. But I never want to do something like that again. And they're so meticulous with building a house. And yet they might ignore the more important things in life. How sad. Every day that you live is like a new brick that is being put into place. Every action you take, every word you speak, every thought you have, all of that is part of the building process of your life and my life. And folks, when we think about life like that, it makes us realize how important everything we do and say really is. We're building characters We're building habits. We're building lifestyles. We're building eternities. If we're building with wood, hay, and stubble, we're not going to end up one day with a spiritual Biltmore house. Everything's going to collapse. Again, though, we're all builders, and as the Bible points out, we're going to give an account to the Lord one day. You cannot change the fact that you are a builder. But let's move on and see the second principle, and that is that not all builders are the same. Notice that in this little short story. Regardless of how we might want to put people into the same box, we're not all in the same box. Not everyone is equal when it comes to the house that they're building. Jesus describes two different builders. Let's look at each one. First of all, in verse 24, he talks about what kind of builder? The wise builder. Why is he wise? Because he builds his house on the rock. And I want you to notice who Jesus says this man is. He is the man who hears the word of Christ and it changes his life. He shapes his life upon what Christ has said. The Bible calls this conversion, being saved. I want you to remember what Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount that our righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. In other words, we need more than just religion. We need a relationship with God through Christ that produces life change. 
And that's why Jesus said to a religious man, Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders in Israel, he said, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, born from above, born of the Spirit, he will not see the kingdom of God. Going to church will never make you right with God in and of itself. Now, hopefully by going to church, you learn about Jesus and you learn about your sinful condition and and you learn that salvation only happens through Jesus. But again, going to church in and of itself will not save you. Somebody once said, going to church will not save you any more than standing in a garage will make you an automobile. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Have you been saved? That's the lingo that we use in church, right? Have you been saved? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I remember back when I was saved, all of a sudden the Bible spoke to me like never before. It's like a light bulb had suddenly been turned on. Things I enjoyed doing in life as a teenager. You know how most teenagers, they sow some wild oats. Things I enjoyed doing as a teenager, I was no longer interested in anymore. I didn't want to do those things. I was a new kind of person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. How about your own life? You may have heard countless sermons. You may have heard countless Sunday school lessons. Some of them speaking about the necessity of the new birth. But have you ever been born again? Have you ever come to the place in your life of acknowledging your your sinfulness and your inability to save yourself? I don't care how good you think you might be. You see, you're comparing yourself to other men and women. And when we do that, you know what? Some of you may turn out pretty good on that scale. But that's not the scale. Jesus is the standard. And up next to Jesus, we all fall short. We're sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. And we cannot save ourselves. Have you come to that place of trusting Christ and Christ alone for salvation? One of the biggest lies of the devil Is that if you'll just go to church and try to be good, try to live as good as you possibly can, you'll be okay. The wise builder hears the word of God, but he does more than that. What else does he do? He acts on what he hears. You see, we can listen to the claims of Jesus in Scripture and we can even nod our head in agreement. We can even say amen, but have we done anything with it? Have you ever yielded your life to the Lordship of Christ? Billy Graham made a statement one day based on one of Jesus' parables. I'm not sure you can 
press a parable this hard. But, but anyway, Billy Graham said he firmly believes, based on one of Jesus' parables, that three out of four people in churches today, not talking about the world out there, but three out of four people in churches today are lost. That only one out of the four was the good soil. But if you've been born again, then you're a wise builder. And you've put your life on the proper foundation who's Christ. Now the challenge continues to be for you to allow the word of God to mold and shape your life. Allow it to correct your life and bring direction to your life. This is how to be a wise builder. You see, a wise builder lives for more than the moment at hand. What does the wise builder do? The wise builder looks down the road and he realizes that this house he's building better have a solid foundation. It'd be faster to ignore a good foundation and just start putting the house up. But the wise builder realizes that the structure's got to rest on something. And what the structure is resting on had better be solid. It had better be the right surface. It always amazes me to see some of these home, these multi million dollar homes maybe built on a cliff out in California and they start having all these floods and mudslides and all that and you'll see on the news one of these huge houses comes crashing down the hill and then they'll turn around and do the same thing all over again (laughs) and I'm like did they not learn the first time The wise builder digs down. He finds rock. He lays the proper footings. And he goes from there. It takes a lot of time. takes a lot of effort and attention. But in the long run, it's worth it. I grew up in Charlotte. And in my lifetime, I've seen skyscrapers go up like crazy in the Charlotte skyline. You go downtown when they're building one of these skyscrapers and if you ever notice the taller the building is going to be the deeper the foundation is. Have you ever noticed how deep some of these foundations are these skyscrapers? Why? Because they know the importance of a good foundation. I couldn't believe it when we built this sanctuary back in 2000 and the core in 2009. All the time and attention that went into the foundation. I mean weeks would go by. It seemed like months would go by and you'd drive by and it appeared like nothing was happening. But aren't you glad they were spending the right amount of time on the foundation? And a foundation is not glamorous. You don't ride by and say, wow, what a beautiful foundation. Look at all those pipes. Look at all those pipes coming up out of the cement. Man, look at all that electrical conduit. Look at all that plumbing. Wow, isn't that gorgeous? It's not glamorous, but it's necessary. The foundation is the most critical thing of all. I remember hearing Dr. Tony Evans give an illustration one time about his house. Some of you may have heard him talk about this. 
if you've heard any of his sermons. Tony Evans says in his family room one day, there was this big crack that showed up in his sheetrock. So he called a drywall guy, a sheetrock finisher and painter, said, can you fix it? And he said, man, yeah, I can fix it. I'll have it done in no time. So Tony Evans said, man, he did a great job with it. Looked great. He said, three weeks went by and this crack came back with all of its cousins and aunts and uncles. He called this guy back, and the guy came back and said, What happened there? I'll redo it for free. And he redid it for free. About a month later, same thing. And so he thought, I've given this guy two chances. I'm calling somebody else. So he called somebody else, and that guy walked around his house, walked around his house, took some notes, mm-hmm, kind of talking to himself, going outside, came back in, and said, I'm not the, I'm not the man for the job. And Dr. Evans said, Aren't you a drywall guy and a painter? He said, yeah. But I'm not the guy for your your job. He said, what are you talking about? He said, you don't have a problem with your drywall. I don't have a problem with my... Are you looking at the same wall I'm looking at? He said, you don't have a problem with your drywall. You got a bigger problem. You got a problem with your foundation. Until that gets fixed... None of this in the long run is going to be right. Foundations are critical. And the wise builder knows this. Then we come to the next builder. Verse 26. The foolish builder. Incidentally, you know what what word in the English language comes from this Greek word in, in this verse right here? Does anybody know? Moron. Yes. That's literally, the, 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 our word moron comes from this Greek word right here. Foolish. Verse 26 says that everyone who hears the word of the Lord does not put it into practice can be likened to a foolish man, a moron, who built this house on the sand. Here's a guy who just wants to hurry up and get the structure done. He wants to get the visible part of the house built. And so he just goes out. Surprisingly, he's not concerned about the foundation at all. He just starts putting block and brick and wood in place on top of the ground, which in this case is nothing more than sand. I know a guy growing up in my home church, Paul Munn. Is Paul Munn here this morning? Paul Munn knows him. Jonathan Turner, too. We were all good friends with this guy's son. And this guy was a sharp guy. He was a big-time bank executive over in Charlotte. But he was one of these white-collar bank executives who could do anything with his hands. I mean, this guy was amazing. And, some, and they lived in a cul-de-sac and had a huge backyard. We'd get out in the backyard and race go-karts and all that kind of stuff. And uh, somebody delivered a roofing system already put together. He had that delivered and dropped off in his backyard. Somebody gave it to him, rafters and everything. And he knew better, but he, he had this crazy idea. I'm going to get block and tackle and pulleys and all that. And I'm going to lift this big old thing up into the air, tied off in the trees with ropes and cables. And I'm going to build this big old outbuilding from the top down. <laughs> Colossal failure. Colossal failure. 
Well, the guy in the parable here is probably proud of the fact that his house seems to be going up rather quickly. He seems to be making great progress. Never mind that the house has a fatal flaw from the beginning. Again, he's just in a hurry. He's not taking time in life to give attention to the most critical things. You ever know people like that? Oh yeah, I know one day that I'm, I'm going to stand before the Lord. I know one day, one day, one day, way out there somewhere. One day I'm going to live somewhere for all of eternity. But you know what? I don't have time now. I'm just living life. I don't have time now. I'm trying to raise a family and work and, and do this and that. One of these days I'll give attention to those things that are really important. Sometimes life's over before he realizes it, before he planned it. Think of some of the foundations, too, that are just sand that people are building on today. Some of these isms of today, intuitionism, feelings. I'm just going to let my feelings be my guide in life. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. And do you realize some people go through life using feelings as their guide and compass for life? But folks, you can't build your life on what you might feel at the moment is true. Jeremiah said the heart is desperately wicked and it will deceive you. A situation is not true just because I feel like it's true. Other people, another one of these isms, existentialism. That's just a big word for experiences. I'm just going to go through life and let experiences be my lesson. Are experiences important? Sure they are. But it's not an infallible guide. Another foundation of sin, rationalism. Human reason is their God. If they can't explain it, then it's not true. Some people live their lives that way. Still others use pragmatism. This is the idea, if something works, hey, if something works and it gets the job done, it's okay. In other words, it's the end result you're after, not necessarily whether it's right or wrong. And so the pragmatist might say, if cheating is what it takes to get by in life, I'm going to cheat. Then there's materialism. Boy, that's a huge one today. People just living for the moment with the idea that he who dies with the most toys wins. I'm just going to go through life and get everything I can. I'm going to enjoy everything to the max. All of these things are foundations of sin. And what's so sad is all around us today in American society, this is what we see. We see people using one of these isms or other things to be their foundation in life. That's part of the broad road that Jesus said people are on. 
Well, the third principle and the most critical thing we see in the text is storms arrive and storms reveal. Look at verse 25 and 27. The day of testing arrives for both builders. And this is so true to life. Just like everyone is a builder, everyone also experiences trials. Both home builders experienced the same storm. Christians, listen to me a moment. Christians are not exempt from trial and tribulation. You're going to go through it just like everybody else. Trials are a part of the common human experience. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your sex is. It doesn't matter what your race or ethnicity is. You will face trials. All you got to do to face trials is just live long enough. James 1 addresses this. James says, consider it all all joy or pure joy, my brethren, whenever you encounter various trials. And he goes on to say, why? Because God's going to use trials to develop endurance and perseverance and character in your life. But James says trials are going to happen. And and he uses that word when when we're going to encounter trials is of the guy in in the parable going down to uh, Jericho from Jerusalem and he fell among thieves and robbers. Same word. And James is saying that's how your life's going to be with trials. You're going to just fall into them. You don't get up like I've said to you dozens of times before before you don't get up in the morning and say God give me some trials today but as you live life that day trials just happen we've had so many people in our congregation lately who've received the dreaded call I think in what the past five six years They go see the doctor and what's the doctor say? You got cancer. You got cancer. Happens just like that. Might be cancer. Might be heart problems. Might be a divorce. Might be a child on drugs. Might be a job loss. On and on I could go with that. Trials come in all different shapes and sizes and colors. They're all around us. Somebody once wisely said, if we could put up tables and lay all of our trials and tribulations on the table and look at everybody's, we would probably walk up to the table and pick our own trials and tribulations back up when we see what others go through. Folks, I want to say to you clearly, the presence or absence of trials is no indicator of somebody's spiritual condition. Remember Job? What did God say about Job? God, not man, God said of Job, have you considered my servant Job? A righteous man. Could you imagine God saying that about you? 
And yet today we all think about Job as the character in the Bible that went through more trials and tribulations than anybody else. So the presence or absence, the, if you have trials in your life, you know, a lot of people have, have trials in their life and they say something like, God must be mad at me. God must hate me. Or I must not be right with God. I'm, I'm doing something wrong because if I was living right in His will, I wouldn't be facing all of this. That's not true at all. Trials come to everybody. Storms come to everybody. Sinners and saints alike. We live in a fallen world. Trials and tribulation. Part of living in a fallen world. Jesus describes them in a very graphic way by talking about this storm. There's rain on the roof. There's floods on the foundation. There, there's winds against the walls. In other words, this these two houses are being hammered from every imaginable angle. Both of these houses. Again, what do these houses represent? Life. Wise builder and foolish builder. Both builders. And their homes are absolutely being hammered. Again, life is like this. We are tested in our faith. We're tested in our finances. We're tested in our families. And sometimes, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, God himself tests us to humble us and teach us and discipline us. And what's Jesus' point here? It's the storm. It's the trials that are going to reveal what your foundation is. Both houses looked fine until the storm hit. As long as the sun was out, the breeze was gentle, the rain was light, everything was fine. You know, life is easy, isn't it? As long as everything's going your way. Hey, life's a blast. Here are two men. We could say they're from the same church. They both get up, get dressed. Let's say they even work at the same company. They drive by Bojangles drive through on the way to work and get them a ham and cheese bit, country ham and cheese biscuit and a cup of coffee and go to work. From the outside, you look at these two men and they, they look identical. But storms arrive and storms reveal. What will they reveal about your life? What will they reveal about my life? You see, storms, trials, tribulation are like a gigantic spotlight. And look at the different outcomes. The guy who built his house on the sand, what happened? His house collapsed and Jesus said, Great was the fall of that house. The house on the rock stood. These houses that had looked the same. Folks, again, when we apply this to people, 
Same thing, you look at different people and families, much the same. You look at families in our church even, much the same. Look, look at the people on the pew next to you, similarities in life, commonalities. Same opportunity to hear, you're hearing the same sermon. Many of you heard similar Sunday school lessons, community group lessons this morning before. But there can be vastly different outcomes. And folks, let's not fail to see the real trial that Jesus is making reference to here. You, you, now, you can apply these words to all of life. But scholars are pretty well agreed that the storm that Jesus is really referring to here is the ultimate storm at the end of time, the coming judgment at the end of the age. John talks about this in Revelation 20. He says, God is on his throne and heaven and earth flees away from him. Everybody is before God and heaven and earth flees away from him. It's the end of time for Christians. It's a joyous time. But Revelation 20 says the books are open and the book of life is open. And those whose names are not found written in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Wow. They have suffered the ultimate collapse of their house. Again, what's contrasted here, everybody's not the same. Everybody's not the same kind of builder. The outcome is not the same for everybody. What is it that Jesus says will make the, great, the difference in the world? What's the defining element? We've, we've said it earlier. It's not just hearing. It's acting on it. It's building your life on the word of the Lord. Building your life on what the word said. The first thing that you need to get settled is salvation. Getting right with Jesus. Being born again. Putting into practice about what the Bible says about your condition before a holy God. Again, I want to emphasize... I. I don't care how good you might think you are. And I'm, I'm sure many in this congregation live very good lives. But the point is, compared to Jesus, as he says, you're a sinner. And if you die in that condition, it's going to be all over for eternity. No hope. After you breathe your last breath. If you die without Jesus. You've got to get that settled. Is that settled in your life? Please settle that. Say God save me. Convert me. Lord, the scripture says salvation is, is your work from above that you do in a life that changes a person from the inside out. 
I can be religious on the outside, but, but I'll get tired of that, and that change won't even last. But Lord, if you change me from the inside out, if I'm born again, if I'm a new creation, that'll last because that's your work. God, do that in me. And then from then on, not just in salvation, but then sanctification, living for the Lord, acting on what He says in your word. And you know what? That's not going to produce bondage. That's going to produce freedom and joy. Realize today you're a builder. No way around it. No way around it. What kind of builder are you? Are you a wise builder or a foolish builder? Hearing is a great privilege, but it's no guarantee. Have you acted on God's Word? And has it changed your life? Right now, if you know that you're not converted, I'm going to be down front. The Kevins will be down front. There'll be others if we need others down here. To come and pray with one of your pastoral staff and tell us, say, Pastor, I, I need Christ. I need that change that only God can do in my life. And we'll pray with you and we'll counsel with you. Perhaps you've trusted Christ already and you're, and you're saved. You're prepared. Hey, you're prepared for that ultimate storm coming one day. But maybe you're going through a lesser trial right now, trial and tribulation. And it's got you on your knees praying. You need God. You need His direction. You're His. You're His child. But you're really struggling with something. The altar's open if you want to come pray. Or if you want to pray with one of your pastors, we'll help you pray about that. Whatever you need. Ask God for strength and wisdom and grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what the Lord Jesus teaches us in Scripture. And what he taught here in This powerful story. Lord, help each of us to really examine what kind of builder we are. If we're the wise builder whose life is built on the firm foundation, which which is Jesus. Or if our life is built on something in the world that's not going to last. It's sand. Lord, I pray for those who need to come to Christ today. Scripture says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. God, I pray for Christians who are going through storms too. Maybe it's with a child. Maybe it's in their marriage. You know what it is. Lord, be with that person. Help them to navigate through that trial in such a way that you'll get the glory And they'll end up stronger for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.